0: Well, we're just blessed beyond measure this weekend, and um, the, the second of our guest presenters who's been with us, not only has he blessed us here, but he did some work with our local police department because he's been in chaplaincy, police chaplaincy, for over 32 years. In fact, when I was asked to serve as a Fort Smith uh, Police Department chaplain, my first call was to Dr. John Knox, and I said, John, can I do this? and he paused for a second and said "Mm," no no he just said you can do it and he was such an encouragement to me John's always been an encouragement to me and I think he's got an encouraging word for West Ark as we consider new shepherds and we continue to uh, grow our leadership here now the thing you have to understand about John and I we first met in 2000 and we're both students of Dr. Charles Seibert and those of you who were in John's classes yesterday said we heard a lot of stories about you and John well he's got stories but I've got pictures okay and uh, here we are about 30 pounds ago and and that's Dr. Charlie Seibert right there in the middle and uh, this is the moment when John and I decided we would go to Charlie and say Lord, can one of us stand on your right hand and one of us stand on your left hand as you come into your kingdom? And he probably thought at that moment that we were quite the sons of thunder. Um, I didn't get the memo and wore my blue shirt instead of my white shirt. Also in that picture is our friend Dan Bouchelle, And I'll tell you, there's a lot of laughs, a lot of fun and enjoyment on the journey. Outside of you, my family, this congregation, the first people to call me when my mother passed away in June were John and Dan. And they both reached out to me. I didn't have to reach out to them. They knew exactly what I was going through. I didn't announce anything. They just said, we're here for you. And I was glad that they were. And so I appreciate John so much. John, why don't you come up here? I want to lead a prayer for you as you... um, serve this congregation and do ministry here. And I want to thank you for all you've done for me. Father, I want to thank you for the ministry and the work that you've done in the life of my friend and brother, John Knox. I ask that we would hear his words today and receive these words and the word, your word, that works in and through this communication this morning. Father, bless him and his family. Bless his work in Granbury with law enforcement with your kingdom, and with the people that he meets every day as he continues to show them and tell them about the grace and the mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. John Knox. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh,
1: Okay, I'm going to do my very best. Uh, The truth is uh, Dr. Seibert would frequently look at Chris and I and just shake his head. I think think he was uh, somewhat disturbed at both of us. So I felt a little bad coming, speaking at Elder Link, and then preaching this morning because my beard is in its very preliminary stages, so I feel the need for a little explanation this morning. We do a a little effort at the Granbury Police Department during No Shave November called Santa Cops, and what we do, we all grow beards, all the men grow beards, that is, so all the men in the department grow beards, and we raise money for a camp that's done every summer, for children who are in court-ordered foster care because they've been in some kind of abusive situation. And we generally raise between twenty dollars and $25,000 every year with our beards. I have to say we are very, very competitive. You have all of your businesses staked out. You have uh, individuals that you can approach. And so I tell the officers, the church is mine. We have several officers that are members of the congregation, and, of course, they felt like the church was theirs, too. So three or four years ago, we were doing this effort. I stood up before the church, and I said, we're doing Santa Cops, and you can certainly contribute to one of our officers. They wear guns. It would be a bad idea to contribute to them, or you could contribute to my beard because I control the length of sermons. So I thought that was great motivation. I want to start this morning by expressing some heartfelt gratitude to all of you, to each of you who comprise the West Ark Church of Christ here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And what I want to express gratitude for may take you by surprise, probably not what you're necessarily anticipating. I want to express my heartfelt appreciation for your commitment to campus ministry at the University of Arkansas right here in Fort Smith. I appreciate your commitment to Cade. I understand he has a group of students on a retreat, even as we speak this morning. I feel a special affinity for campus ministry because of my own background. So let me tell you where I began. I began as a freshman at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas in the fall of 1981, and like so many college students, my freshman year went relatively easy, I breezed by, and then got to that sophomore year in the fall of 1981, and that sophomore year, that first semester of the sophomore year didn't quite go as smoothly as the previous year. In fact, the administrators at Tech sent me a letter during that Christmas break sometime in December. It was a very nice letter. It was worded well, and it had this term that I had never seen before. It had this phrase, scholastic probation. Anybody familiar with the phrase scholastic probation? In this very nice and cordial way, they informed me that I was welcome not to come back in the spring of 1982. So I ended up transferring to Lubbock Christian University. My sister had graduated from what was then LCC, Lubbock Christian College, several years earlier, and persuaded me while I was on probation at Tech to go to LCU at least for a semester. And my first response to her was, I am not going to school at a monastery. That was my perception. I need to share with you this morning that I did not grow up in the church, nor did my sister. Our family had no church affiliation at all. My dad was very adamant about being an atheist. We had no church connections on our radar as a family at all. When I transferred to LCU in the spring of 1982, I was really trying to get my grades up and really at work hard so I could make my way back to Texas Tech. And I was doing fine in all of my classes except Old Testament survey. I didn't know Genesis from Galatians. I knew nothing about Scripture. And the professor who was teaching that course in the spring semester of 1982 probably should have been teaching graduate-level students, as I look back on it now, he was so far above my head. So my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, sat down and tutored me about Old Testament survey, and he used that opportunity to teach me God's plan of redemption for all of us. He helped me to see the whole story of Scripture, the big picture, if you will. And so during that first semester at LCU, I was baptized into Christ. But what's the most important thing that I wanna share with you in regard to expressing my gratitude for your commitment to the campus at the University of Arkansas here, I was converted in the context of a very dynamic campus ministry there in Lubbock. It was a campus ministry that was involved at the Tech campus and involved at the LCU campus as well. We probably had about 200 students involved in that campus ministry and it was a great experience and really shaped the course of my entire life. So fast forward a few years. Went to ACU for the first time in 1985 after meeting my wife at LCU. We married in 1984, went to ACU in 1985 to work on a Master of Divinity degree. And then my first role in ministry was in Wichita Falls, Texas, serving as a campus minister at Midwestern State University. Now, let's just think about that. That's now 1987. It sounds like a remarkable story on the surface. Here's this young man. He was baptized in the context of a campus ministry, and now he is a campus ministry. What a wonderful story. And it is a wonderful story, but there is also the potential for so much disaster. Think very young, very inexperienced, very green minister. And furthermore, factor into the equation, think very, very young, inexperienced Christian who doesn't necessarily know the dynamics of how churches work and how things unfold. I didn't even know some of the language of church. Did you know we have our own language? And, and I didn't know all of that language at that time. So in a way, it was the recipe for imminent disaster. It did not take long. I joined the staff at the 10th and Broad Church of Christ in July of 1987, and by late August, disaster ensued. I need to tell you, about the great shrimp dinner fiasco of 1987. I I shared this in my class yesterday and said I I gotta wait and tell you this morning, and I I have to ask all of you at Westar, can y'all keep confidences? I would really rather the contents of this story never leave this room. It's rather embarrassing. So we'll we'll just have a little covenant of confidentiality right now. Oh, I'm online. Forget the confidentiality. Might as well be on Facebook. So it was a Saturday night, and of course, the preacher I worked with who was a seasoned veteran of ministry and a wonderful man, he was out of town that weekend. And I get this call at home, and how these people got my number, I don't know, this this man calls and he said, my wife and I and our two children, our van's broken down, and we're at the Imperial Motel adjacent to downtown Wichita Falls. Now a couple of years later, when I started working with the police department, I learned all about the Imperial Motel and things I probably shouldn't share on a Sunday about the Imperial Motel. And this family said, our van's broken down. Could you put us up, and, and, and our family needs to eat. We don't have any money, and, of course, I'm this young minister, and I have the best of intentions. Oh, of course we'll help you. Of course we'll pay your hotel bill. And, and you can go to the Pioneer Restaurant. The church has an account there. And y'all can go eat. We'll take care of everything, and y'all can get your van fixed. So they went and they ate that Saturday night. And they went and ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner on Sunday. And then had a nice breakfast on Monday morning. And finally, at noon, they had lunch. And after they had lunch at the Pioneer restaurant that day, they got a dozen shrimp dinners to go. So later that afternoon, I went to pick up the bill. And I looked to see the contents of the bill and how much that bill was. I think I cried, if I remember correctly, and I thought to myself, they are going to kill me. The elders are going to kill me, and after they kill me and bury me, they're going to dig me back up, and then they're going to fire me after that. I thought, what am I going to do? This is the first disaster of ministry, so I was told to go to Brother Adcock Brother Raymond Adcock was one of my elders at that time. He was an older gentleman in 1987. He had been on the city council in Wichita Falls. He was well-known in the community and just a fine man. And I went with my hat in my hand, and Brother Adcock, I've made a huge mistake in this family. It took a dozen shrimp dinners to go, and he listened, and he listened very kindly. And finally, he looked me in the eye, and he said, what did we learn from this experience it wasn't what did you learn from that experience it was what did we learn from this experience and to be truthful he was a little put out with the restaurant that they would actually charge a dozen shrimp dinners to this family on their way out of town and so as I look back on his attitude he extended grace to me instead of chewing me out and making me feel like an absolute fool. I know this is going to sound overly dramatic, but the truth is Raymond Adcock's actions toward me at that crucial moment shaped my experience of working with elders now for over 35 years. Now, I know that sounds overly dramatic, so really probably what I should say is the collective actions of all of the shepherds at the 10th and Broad Church of Christ who patiently shepherded me from 1987 until 1995 shaped the course of my entire career in ministry. And I remain grateful today for each one of those men. When Paul describes the qualities that elders should possess in the pastoral epistles, I'm thinking specifically of First Timothy chapter three, verse three, he says that gentleness, he notes, that gentleness is a quality that elders certainly should possess. And I remember being on the receiving end of a very gentle and kind elder in late August of 1987. I've now been in a preaching role for 27 years. And in terms of preaching, really, where I feel most comfortable, my favorite thing to do is is to take a text and really dig in and work in that text. I'm preaching through the book of James at home and have several more weeks when I get home after this Sunday, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to try to move well out of the scope of my comfort zone this morning and do something that's not normal for me. So I have uh, titled my lesson today, 35 Years of Serving with Elders. What have I learned? In over three decades of working with, I've lost count of how many shepherds I've served with over the years. What have I learned in 35 years? Well, here's Here's the first thing I learned. There is no such thing as a cookie cutter elder. Were y'all aware of that? That there is no such thing as a cookie cutter elder. Each shepherd who serves a respective congregation has a unique, God given personality. Some are probably a little more unique than others. But isn't it true, each shepherd has his own unique God-given personality, unique giftedness, and furthermore, unique life experiences as well. I can't help but pause and even think about some of the shepherds that I'm serving with in Granbury right now. I think of Mike. Mike is a retired CEO of a very large utility company in Texas. And Mike is what I would characterize as an organizational genius. It certainly helps when you have an elder who has an MBA from Harvard. That doesn't hurt anything. But in his organizational genius, he has the capacity to run an elders meeting and to keep things on track and to make sure that everyone has a chance to express their input, but yet move things toward a meaningful conclusion as well. Someone who can keep things on track where we continue to do meaningful ministry in the context of our community and meaningful ministry in terms of missions as well. What would we do without Mike? His unique giftedness as what I would characterize as being an organizational genius. Then there's David. David spent most of his professional career in Costa Rica. And so he's fully bilingual, he has excellent language skills, he's also a good student of culture. And so over the years, as a shepherd, he has used both his language skills and his multicultural experiences to bless us in mission efforts around the globe in all kinds of ways. And then there's John. Now, you're talking about unique personalities. I think I wouldn't say John is bordering on being a little quirky. Have you ever had an elder it's just a little quirky? He operates to the beat of a different drummer, and yet John is gifted in ways that I've never seen or have seldom seen other shepherds during the course of my career. He has the uncanny ability to reach out to people in church who are vulnerable. I'm thinking about a lady at church who was recently widowed and when her husband passed away she did not know how to put gas in her car. She didn't know how to go to Brahms and order a hamburger and a milkshake and John and his wife Becky have patiently worked with her and reached out to her in the most basic ways and it just feels like heartfelt shepherding to me doesn't it to you as well. And I think about John and Becky reaching out to new Christians and helping them to meet people and helping them to assimilate where they really feel like they, they are a part of the body there in Granberry. That's shepherding and he really is good at it. Then there is Fidel. Fidel is also bilingual. And Fidel, like me, didn't grow up in the church. And so he sees things from a very different viewpoint. So in elders' meetings, when we're having lively discussions, do y'all ever have lively discussions at elders' meetings here in Fort Smith? When we're having lively discussions, he brings that perspective to the table as someone who didn't grow up in a Christian home. And he has a real heart for adult converts who share that experience as well. I'm telling you about my own shepherds that I serve with for a specific reason. Let me urge you. Allow me to urge you to affirm the gifts and experiences and unique personalities of each of your elders. And take some time to express some appreciation for their service. Express appreciation for who they are as a person and how God has gifted them. And furthermore, I think it is so important for all of us to acknowledge that one elder cannot be everything to everybody. Isn't that true? One elder cannot be everything to everybody. So in that regard, let us all be encouragers. I realize that Paul was speaking to the church as a whole as he concluded his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. But in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. But wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be just a great thing if we focused some real attention on the shepherds among us? And made it our intent to be encouraging toward them, encouraging to them because they are willing to serve as overseers for the West Ark Church of Christ. Here's another thing I've learned over the course of 35 years. I've gained a unique appreciation for the body of Christ. And I need to do a little explaining. Let's consider Romans chapter 12 verses 4 and 5 specifically. Paul says, for just as each of us has one body, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong To each other. So as I look back on this 35 years that I've referenced, I realize my best work as a minister is has been with other Christians as we function together, as we serve together, and as we acknowledge that we belong to each other. And certainly, ministry involves getting to partner with the shepherds. It's a, it's a daily thing, getting to partner with the shepherds. And here's the truth. Sometimes, sometimes ministry is hard. Did, did y'all know that? Well, y'all aware of the fact that sometimes ministry is hard. Did you know that that people can be complex and difficult? Is that a shocker that people can be complex and difficult? When I was in Wichita Falls, I worked with a preacher who was an outstanding mentor. He retired this last June. After serving that congregation for 40 years. No telling how many young ministers he mentored over the course of his tenure there at that particular congregation. So I happened to be in the foyer with him after church. You know, we, preachers go out in the foyer and we greet people. And for whatever reason, I, even though I was a campus minister, I was out in the foyer with him greeting people. And I overheard a conversation that was going on between him and a lady at church. And she came out, a little lady, about four foot 11. And she looked and she said, Brother Subtle, I've heard good preaching and I've heard bad preaching, but you are the worst. Wow. I can't imagine y'all would ever say that to Chris. Would you ever say that to Chris? I can't imagine y'all would ever say that. That That's a a little bit of a shocker. And so I, I was just sort of stunned. And then fast forward a couple of months. And I had driven back to Lubbock to make it back to evening services, and I had received news that very day that my mother had stage 4 colon cancer. I was 29 years old. And after evening services were over, this same lady came up to me, and she said to me, they can teach elephants tricks in the circus, and you can't teach that little boy, She was referencing my 2-year-old, oldest firstborn son. And as I shared in my class yesterday, it was one of those moments where I thought, I better not say anything because I was certain of the fact that whatever came out of my mouth would come from the B.C. days. You all familiar me the B.C. days, the before Christ days? And so I decided, I better not say anything because I'm going to say something I'm going to regret later. But the reality is ministers and elders alike deal with difficult people in difficult circumstances. So one of the things I've learned over these three decades is no matter what kind of situation we are in, the shepherds or the ministers, we are in this together. And my responsibility is to be as supportive as I possibly can of the elders. If they're dealing with a difficult person, I am going to support them every way I can possibly think of. And furthermore, it, the street is a two-way street. That my expectation is that the elders will be supportive of me when I'm dealing with those difficult people or difficult circumstances. And the reason I describe this in the context of Romans 12, 4 and 5 this morning is this whole process of being supportive of one another and being in battle at times with each other, has given me a very unique appreciation for the way God established the church as the body of Christ to function together and furthermore to belong to each other. Here's another thing I've learned in, in during this time period. Elders serve when nobody sees. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And so I think of several examples. Billy is my elder who's retired from the FBI. And last week, this is just a few days ago, one of our teens at church, his mom's a single mom, and this kid's having a hard time. He's 16 years old. He's being a little rebellious. He's being a little difficult. And who takes that young man out to dinner last week? Last Tuesday night, 74-year-old Billy Martin takes that young man out to dinner and talks to him about what's going on and establishes some rapport with him and makes a commitment to go out to dinner with this young man on a regular basis. And nobody knows about that. The only reason I know is because we happen to have a conversation in the office but most of the folks at church there on Sunday morning have no idea that 74-year-old Billy Martin spent his Tuesday night with 16-year-old Enyo. And I think of my elder Ike, who stops at Brahms and gets that milkshake and a hamburger, and he goes up to the nursing home on a fairly regular basis, and he and a man named Willie, who's one of our members in the nursing home, have a hamburger and a shake together. And the unique thing about that experience is Willie is 98 years old. Willie is our last living World War II veteran at the Granbury Church of Christ. And every other week or so, Ike is at the nursing home having a hamburger and a shake with Willie, who is our 98-year-old man. Nobody at church knows about that. That's done under the radar, and nobody is familiar at all. Why do I share these stories? I share these stories because there are elders behind the scenes doing ministry that nobody knows about. I would urge all of us, as you observe your elders, as you interact with your shepherds, to assume the best and not assume the worst. Assume that they're they're in the background somewhere where nobody sees and nobody knows serving people in such meaningful ways. Here's the last thing I'd like to say this morning. I've observed over the years that we expect more from the elders than we do from ourselves. Would y'all say that's true? That we expect a whole lot more from the elders than we do from ourselves. And so when we're preparing for an elder selection process, preachers like Chris will preach on texts like 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7 and Titus chapter 1, 6 through 9 that list these qualities of elders. And I I think that's valuable and it's an important, those are good reminders. But that being said, the scripture also speaks to the rest of us regarding our actions toward those elders. The scripture speaks to the rest of us regarding our actions toward elders. So I think of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 and the Hebrews writer says obey your leaders and submit to their authority because They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. The language there is leaders. And so I would simply ask you, who are our leaders? Who is overseeing the flock at the West Ark Church of Christ? And the second sentence in that text is, Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And then another passage that comes to mind is 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I think we're all aware of the fact that words like submission and obedience are not very popular in our culture today but nevertheless they are important. And those ideals, those ideals of obedience and submission are directed at every single one of us. Those biblical exhortations directed to all of us are every bit as important as the qualities of elders that are described in the pastoral epistles. So this morning, as I conclude, two challenges. I want to call all of us to be especially convicted at such a time as this in the history of this congregation. Here are the two commitments. The first one being, let us recommit. Let us recommit to submitting to the authority of our leaders. Can we do that? Can we recommit to submitting to the authority of our leaders in the most respectful way possible? I have to be honest. I love my elders, and even though I get frustrated with them occasionally, I do have those moments, as most preachers do, when we're sitting around the table in an elders meeting, that I would like to jump across the table and wrap my my hands around them and choke them. I, I have those thoughts every once in a while, but at the end of the day, I love these men. And when I hear people speaking disrespectfully or acting in a disrespectful manner, it's not right. Here's a second thought. Let us demonstrate appropriate honor to those who lead us, the shepherds among us. So I began my thoughts this morning by thanking you for your commitment to campus ministry I am personally and fully aware of the consequences of such a commitment. And so I'd like to conclude my time with you this morning by urging us to recommit. Recommit to respect for the leaders who shepherd and those who are ministering in such meaningful, profound ways. Thank you so much for letting me have a few minutes with you this morning as well as the time yesterday as well. God bless.